Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Father, we ask that you might preserve us from falling, that you might strengthen us, give us the grace to build on solid ground. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thursday evening, the color of the sky began to change, and I was looking out the window and saw what looked like a darkening sky suddenly begin to glow in a weird brown way that I was not familiar with. I was looking forward to the weather because, according to the app on my phone, it was about to change and get cooler. And I was imagining several evenings of really pleasant weather for the rest of the week and making plans for it. I was looking forward to it so much that I'd thrown up all the window sashes and was opening the windows, already feeling the cool breeze. Lori counseled me. She said, you should close these windows, and you should prepare yourself, and you should come down to the basement where me and the cats are about to go. And uh, I, of course, did not do that. Instead, I waited and watched to see the drama that was about to unfold. As the wind suddenly picked up, and all of the, <laughs> the yard furniture suddenly bowed down before the wind as it was toppled, I gazed across into my neighbor's yard and saw the pine tree, which usually towers over the house, coming down and crashing onto the ground before my very eyes. And I began to wonder why I hadn't listened to my wife. I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't think the storm was going to be this bad. I wasn't really thinking about it at all. All of my plans were looking forward to what was coming afterward. And now, maybe it was too late. Lori was already taking shelter in the basement, screaming up the stairs for me to join her. And I looked around in panic, and what I did was I started closing windows because I didn't want to have not listened to her, even if it was the last thing that I ever did. I started slamming windows down, and as I did it, the words of the childhood song came back to my mind. The rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the sand went splat. Was my house about to fall? Was my house about to go splat? Was it too late to do anything about it? The storm got my attention. I hadn't been prepared for it. I hadn't expected it to be what it was, and so I went into it unprepared, as we often do. Yet we don't have to be unprepared, because Jesus in our text tells us that a storm is coming. There's going to be a storm. In other words, your house is going to be tested. Jesus says so, and you can believe it. That testing will come. 
When Jesus talks about the rain and the floods and the wind, all that together constitutes a storm. And that storm symbolically is a test. A house is meant to stand. We build houses so they will stand up to the weather, not fall. And the storm is designed to test whether or not the house is going to do what houses are supposed to do. The storm tests whether the house is going to stand or fall. Will it pass the test and stand, or will it fail the test and fall? And whether or not your house will pass the test depends on how it was built. How it was built depends on whether or not you believed there was going to be a storm in the first place. If we build our houses for bad weather, we follow the building codes strictly. If we build them as if no storm will ever come, we cut corners, and we don't worry about it. When Jesus talks about houses here, think households, think families, think relationships, think lives. That's what's being tested in this parable. That's what Jesus is describing, the storm, as testing. I like the word household because it's a little bit better than lives. Like when we think about building a life for ourselves, we can think about that in a very individualistic way. You're building your own life. You're making your own choices. But households are collective. A household includes not just yourself, but all of the people you love, all of the people who rely on you, all of the people that your actions influence and affect. A household. And it's that household that will be tested. And most of us build our households as if they will never be tested. We don't build them up to code. We build them as if the weather is always going to be fair. We assume everything will always be fine, that we'll be lucky, that there'll be no conflict that will enter into our households and test our commitment to one another. We imagine that's just never going to happen and that it's okay to simply build a household around that assumption. And it is. That works. You can get through your whole life that way as long as you're never tested. And some people do. They go for, for months, for years, for decades in households that have not been built to withstand testing and no testing comes and everything seems fine. And then the day comes when the wind kicks up and the rain starts and the flood water raises and suddenly that house, which seemed fine, it seemed as secure as any other house, when it's tested, it falls. When we're tested, we fall. When the storms come in our lives, they pull at us and they tear us apart. We thought we were secure. We thought our relationships were solid, good. Our love, it was strong. But when it's tested, the house falls flat. And we look at the rubble of our lives and we scratch our heads and we say, I don't know how that happens. I don't know what went wrong. Jesus knows what happened. He tells us what went wrong. What happened was the house fell because of what it was built on. The house fell because it was built on sand. It wasn't built for the storm. You can live as if there will be no test. You can live as if testing will never come into your life, but living that way won't make it true. 
Just because you're in denial doesn't mean the storm won't come. It will. And when it does, you will be unprepared. That's the condition. That's the state of the man that Jesus describes as the foolish man. Foolishness in this context is unpreparedness. In fact, it's often that way in Scripture. When someone is described as a fool, it's often because he has not prepared for the future that he knows is coming. He has been told, he has been warned, this is the way it works, this is the way life is in a fallen world, and yet he has chosen to live as if the storm will never come. That is foolishness. Later in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the foolish virgins. You remember the story, the ten women who are gathered at the the wedding feast to meet the bridegroom, and they bring their lamps, but five of them don't bring oil for the lamps. And they're described as foolish because they know that darkness is coming. Like, they have lamps. They've brought lamps. They know it's going to get dark, but they haven't brought the fuel so that they can have illumination. They've come unprepared, even though they knew that the darkness would fall. That is foolishness. If you know that the dark is coming, you should bring oil. If you know that the storm is coming, you should build on rock. To do anything else is foolishness. Wise people are people who build their households as if a storm is coming because they know it is. Wise people build their houses as if those houses will be tested because they know they will be. That's the measure of wisdom in our text. Of course, how you live today, whether you live wisely or foolishly, all depends on what you think is coming tomorrow. If you think you have plenty of time, then you will do nothing. If you think that time is short, then you will be surprised what you're able to accomplish in the time that you have. In other words, if you live as if you will never be tested, you will be tested just won't be ready for the storm when it comes. Some of us live as if we know a test is coming. We just don't think it'll be anytime soon. And we think that that's wisdom. Like, I know life can be terrible. I know that we may go through hard times, but I think we've got plenty of time to prepare, and we don't need to worry about that now. Again, that's a kind of foolishness, because the storm will come, and when it comes, it will take you by surprise. So don't be surprised, don't be foolish, be wise, build on the rock. So far, so good. But the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to build on a rock? Jesus explains it right at the beginning when he says, everyone who hears the words that I've spoken to you in this Sermon on the Mount and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So building on the rock means doing the words of Christ, not just hearing them. Not just believing in them with air quotes. Not just giving mental assent. Not hearing what Jesus says and saying, that sounds pretty good. I listened to this guy. He preached this sermon. It was on a mountain. Quite lovely. And the words he said seemed really persuasive, really compelling. I'd like to hear some of that again. If that's as far as it goes, if you hear it, but you never do it, you're not building on the rock. So obviously, there is a difference in foundations between wisdom and foolishness. If you build on sand instead of rock, when your house is tested, it will fall. That much 
is obvious. And when it falls, there's an implication that you may not appreciate. So when the house falls, everything in the house, everything that was placed there so that the house might shelter it, is crushed under the weight of the house. You remember how Samson died? He pushed the, the pillars out under the temple of Dagon, and the whole structure came down and crushed the people inside. There was a beautiful irony in this because the temple was meant to shelter and protect them, and it was the weight of their false god's temple that crushed the worshipers within. That's the idea. When the house falls, everything that is precious to the one who built it is underneath that roof as it collapses and is crushed by that fall. That's a tragedy. Because everything that you love, everything that you care about, everything that you want to survive is what's been stored, had protected under this roof. So if you build on sand, not only will the house not fall, but everything that you hoped that it would provide for will be destroyed by it. And you don't want that. And whether or not a house endures testing depends on its foundation. So you want to build on rock and not on sand because firm foundations prevent a fall, and weak foundations guarantee a fall. But if you remember, Jesus says, the way you build on the rock is by doing my words. It's by doing my words. In other words, building on rock doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Like the wise are those who prepare, and you prepare by doing what Jesus says. Not just hearing it, hearing alone, even agreeing with what you hear, will not build a firm foundation. It's not enough to hear and assent to it. It's not enough to identify as a Christian. That's not building on a rock. It is doing what Jesus says that is building on rock. This is why James, in his Epistle in James chapter 1 tells us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. This is James 1, starting in verse 22. He says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Those who hear but do not do, James says, are deceiving themselves. If you've ever said to yourself, I believe in the principles of Christianity. I think of myself as a Christian, and I try to live a good life on top of that. It's true that I don't belong to a particular church. It's true that I don't attend worship services very often. It's true that I don't really like to even talk about Jesus that much. But when I do, I think what Jesus has to say is very compelling. I agree with it. I may not put too much emphasis on religion in general, but when I'm feeling religious, I turn to Jesus. I agree with him. We live in a city full of people who might not say those words out loud, but who more or less live them. Like We don't live in a place where, where if you mention the name of Jesus in public, everyone turns on you and says, shut up, don't speak of him. 
Just the opposite. You'll find you're surrounded by people who identify as Christian. People who agree with Jesus, who think he's a great guy and we need more of him. People who are very positively disposed to the idea of him. But do not do what he says. But do not actually do his word. They do not do the things. They hear them. They believe in them. They give assent to them. But they do not live them. James says living that way is like looking in a mirror, like seeing yourself, like there's a revelation, a trueness to that, but then walking away and forgetting what you saw. True, every time you go by the mirror, you'll be reminded of that reality. Every time you crack open that Bible, every time you think again, oh yeah, Jesus, you'll be confronted by that reality and you'll see it. But then the moment passes, the book closes, you step away from the mirror, and you go on per usual. You have heard, you've even assented, but you do not do, you do not live. Instead, James says to look into the perfect law, to look into it, to look into the law of liberty, and he says to persevere in it. Be a doer who acts, and you will be blessed in your doing. Put it another way, Jesus doesn't want you to just have faith. Jesus wants you to practice faith. He wants you to practice faith. He wants you to hear and to do. So then the day of testing, you will not fall, but stand firm. That you will endure. Christianity is not a philosophy that you agree to. It's not a way of life that you assent to intellectually. It's not just a worldview. It has all of those things. It possesses all of those facets. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity the faith that you're called to practice, that you're called to live. You don't just agree with the words that Jesus speaks. You live the words. The wise man lives the word that Jesus has spoken, and his house does not fall. So for the sake of your house, for the sake of your household, you have to live your faith. Otherwise, it will fall in the day of testing. That's the point that Jesus is making here, and it is a point that should make you tremble. Because most of us are living the way I was living Thursday night. We've got the windows thrown open, we're fascinated by the look of the sky, and we're looking forward to the cooler temperatures which are to come. And we're not taking seriously the fact that there's a test. And when you hear these words, they should make you wonder, as the storm made me wonder, is it too late? Is it too late? You may hear what Jesus is saying to you and agree with it. You might say, you know what? You're right. My household needs to be a household of faith. I need to do the words of Jesus and not just hear them, but it is too late. The storm is already blowing and I have missed my opportunity. I've been foolish. What hope is there for me? And if you hear that and you feel that way, welcome to the club. I hope none of us sit here and hear the words of Jesus and say, all right, well, at least I've got this one taken care of. I'm not concerned about the testing because I know that I have done the words of Jesus. I know that I have lived his word. I don't know that. I'm not sure you do either. The test is going to come and maybe it'll come before we're ready. 
Maybe right now you could decide, I am going to build on the rock. I'm going to do what Jesus says. But if the test comes tomorrow, will that be enough? Your foundation is mostly sand. If you get a little rock under there before the test comes, is that going to be enough? If your foundation is half rock and half sand, if you've lived your life up to now one way and you, you turn over a new leaf and try to do the words of Jesus now, will it be enough? Or will even a little bit of sand be enough to ensure that the house will fall? That's the anxiety. It's the right anxiety to have. Jesus has warned you about the house that you're building. Now listen to what he has to say about the house that God is building for you. Because God is building on the rock, and his house will endure forever. I already alluded to Matthew 25. In Matthew 16, Jesus says something really fascinating. It's a passage, some words he speaks to Peter, which have led to all sorts of controversy and arguments about what exactly he means. But in our context, I think you'll see something significant here. So Peter confesses the lordship of Jesus. He confesses that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He makes his confession of faith. You are the king that we have been waiting for. And Jesus says, you know, great. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what's interesting in our context about Jesus' words is Jesus says, I'm building something. I'm building an ecclesia. I'm building a church, a household of faith. And I'm building it upon the rock. And we argue over what the rock is. Does he mean he's building it on Peter? Is he building it on Peter's confession of faith, which is given to him by the Spirit? Is he referring to himself? Is he saying, like, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church? Because, of course... Paul will say the rock was Christ in uh, 1 Corinthians or 2nd. Regardless of how you interpret that, Jesus says, I'm building a place, a house, a church. I'm building it on a rock, a firm foundation. If you go all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, This is where King David realizes he lives in a better house than God does, and he wants to make amends by building God a nice house to dwell in as well. It doesn't make sense to him that he lives in a cedar house while God lives in a tent, the tabernacle. But when he goes to the prophet Nathan, the prophet Nathan is like, this sounds like a great idea. I mean, what prophet slash pastor has ever thought it was a bad idea to have someone build a nice church building? But then God steps in and says, I never asked for this. I don't want you to build me a house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. You can't build me a dwelling place. I'm going to build a dwelling place for you. And that's when he affirms his covenant with David. David, in 2 Samuel 7, paraphrases God's words, saying, I will build you a house. And that's how he sums up God's covenant with him. Like, I will build you a house, a household. Generation after generation, I'm going to build this for you, a lineage. I will build you an inheritance. That's God's promise. It's in the language of construction. In Psalm 118, in verse 22, the psalmist prophesies that a stone the builders reject will become the cornerstone of the foundation. In Matthew 21, Jesus will quote 
this psalm. And of course, Peter does the same thing in Acts 4, verse 11. And there he insists that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that the builders rejected who has now become our cornerstone. Paul uses that same language in Ephesians 2, 20, one of those touchstones we go back to again and again. It's a description of the church as a structure that God is building And Christ is the cornerstone of that structure, which is referred to as the household of God. God's household. Christ is the cornerstone. The foundation consists of the apostles and the prophets. And then Paul adds, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. In other words... The same Jesus who warns you to build on the rock is himself the rock, the cornerstone of the foundation. The same Jesus, when you are united to him by faith, grafts you into the walls of the structure that he is building, the household of God, the house that will always stand forever and forever. He is sticking you together with the glue, the mortar of the Holy Spirit and building you up into that invulnerable house. Jesus says a test is coming, that our household will be tested. But what Jesus is offering us isn't just a plan of action. If you looked at these words in the Sermon on the Mount in isolation, you might think that all Jesus is really offering is is a wake-up call. That all he's saying is, there's a storm coming, and if you don't prepare, your house is going to be blown over, and the way you prepare is not just hearing what I've said, but actually doing it. So you've got to start living the life that I've called you to, and if you do that, you will build your household securely. As if all that Jesus was offering to us was good advice on how to weather a storm. But remember, this is the beginning of an unfolding ministry A mystery that that Jesus is unwrapping layer by layer. And as it unfolds, we realize that Jesus is offering us much more than a plan of action. Jesus is offering us Himself. He is offering us Himself. And part of the way He does that is by offering us a place in His household. In the house that He is building. Jesus says, in Me you have life. Hear my words and do them, and my Spirit will build you up and put you together so that in the day of testing you will stand. This is my household, my ecclesia, my church, and I myself am the cornerstone of it. I've laid the foundation through the apostles and the prophets, and the Holy Spirit is the mortar that is holding it all together, and you are the bricks as I place you one by one, and I bind you together into this dwelling place for God. We heard earlier the text about the New Jerusalem in our lectionary reading, the cry of celebration that is sung when the city comes down is that the dwelling place of God is with men. This reality is what all human history longs for and looks forward to. And this is the reality that we should cling to. When we worry that our houses won't endure this storm, remember that Jesus has called us into His house. Jesus is the rock. 
this is the dwelling place that he is building. So this is where you should build as well. Build your household under his roof and it will endure in the day of testing. Build your household with Jesus in the sanctuary that he has founded on the rock. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.